0: The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Some people fight for love. I don't want to do it no more. Some people hide from love. It just feels so good. When you gotta love and it's good
1: like it should be Makes you never wanna give it up Cause you know that some
2: people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do
1: the same for you
0: Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari is a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders' powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning?
1: Well, we have a wonderful guest, Sarah Napthali, who is coming to us all the way from beautiful Sydney, Australia. Oh, one of my favorite places that I'd love to go back to. So you'll hear her great accent. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Um, she is a, an author of this great book called Buddhism for Couples. And she is, um, a been in a long-term relationship herself and for nearly 20 years. And she is the mother of two teenage boys and a long-term practitioner of Buddhist teachings. She's the author of several parenting books, including The Best-Selling Buddhism for Mothers, which has been translated into 10 languages to date. So you can find out a lot more about her at the website for uh, for her book, PenguinRandomHouse.com, but also you can find her book, Buddhism for Couples, A Calm Approach to Relationships, at Amazon.com. So we're just thrilled to have you joining us from down under. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me, Mari. <laughs> yeah. So, first of all, uh, why did you write this book?
2: Well, um, to tell you the truth, when the idea of this book first occurred to me, I, I dismissed it thinking, I'm not good enough at this marriage thing to write a book. I, you know, My marriage can be very difficult at times. But then it occurred to me, which friends do I go to if I want to confide or get advice about marriage problems? And it's not the ones who present as always happy in their relationship. I, I would never take my problems to them. I go to the ones... Similar struggles, because I feel that they'll understand from first-hand experience what I'm feeling. And so too, as a reader, would I rather hear from an um, would I rather hear from an expert or someone with similar struggles to mine? So suddenly, it made sense that I could write a book on marriage, um, exploring my own struggles and, and sharing them um, with readers. And I'm I'm sure that my struggles will be very similar to, to those of readers.
1: Exactly. So, how is it that you blended the your Buddhism with, and you know you talk about this as a calm approach to relationships? So how is it that you decided to bring in the Buddhist teachings?
2: Well, I find that um, Buddhism helps me in particular uh, with mind when I apply mindfulness of thinking. And uh, if you've just had a bit of a spat with your partner, um, you can find yourself really ruminating or getting resentful and it's just a really great time to apply mindfulness of thinking. Just be aware non-judgmentally of your thoughts and um, just awareness alone without suppressing or disputing your thoughts even. Awareness alone um, can lead you to substitute um, negative, unskillful thoughts with ones that actually help you and get you somewhere,
1: right? And just living in the moment and being aware of what you're thinking, what you're feeling, and how one you know how one is reacting to you. You know, um, the Buddhist teachings, as you know from your book, that I've read in your book and I've heard also, um, is the act of letting go. And that can be so difficult. It sounds so easy, but it is so difficult. So what did the Buddha mean by letting go? And what what are some of the things that we can let go of in our relationships that will make us have a more calm and happy relationship?
2: Yes, um, well, I'll start from the beginning. The first noble truth of the Buddha is that there is suffering or unsatisfactoriness or stress. And the second noble truth is that the cause of this suffering is our attachment, sometimes referred to as craving or grasping. And we do all this craving and grasping and attachment because we believe in a self, which is really just a construction of our minds. So the answer to this problem that attachment causes suffering is to let go of our attachments. So in the context of a relationship, there's lots of different attachments that we can let go of. And in Buddhism for couples, I write, for example, about letting go of our grudges or about anger, of our attachment to our own views, um, but especially about uh, attachment to our expectations.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I love one of the sayings of Buddha is, all suffering comes from not accepting what is. And every time something happens that I feel shouldn't have happened, <laughs> I have to remind myself that I'm suffering because I'm not accepting what is. It is, you know, the older I get, I, I seem to tell myself more. It is what it is, and this is happening for a reason. And whatever that reason is, it's really for me, not to me. But, um, but it's, it's not easy to let go, is it, Sarah? Oh,
2: yeah, it's the sort of work of a lifetime, and I think if we could all just successfully let go of all our attachments, then we'd be enlightened and there'd be no more work to do. So, yeah, it's definitely a process, um, and Buddhist teachings talk about a path that you're on rather than an arrival point.
1: Right, it's the journey, right?
2: (laughs) Yes, yes.
1: What would be the best tip that you would offer, based on your personal experience of marriage? Is there, is there one uh, best tip regarding, you know, to be calm and happy in the relationship?
2: Well, one very practical and simple one that is just so invaluable in my household, um, and this is the ultimate form of letting go, and that's just a very simple apology. Because an apology is letting go of the need to be right. It's letting go of righteous anger. And it's also letting go of the ruminating mind. It's a beautiful act of humility which makes it easier for our partner to let go of their anger as well. And apologizing is something that my husband and I have modeled to my children. So they're capable of apologizing. And it's no particular big deal to apologize. It's just part of the culture of our house. It's something that we need to do on a daily basis and it's a really efficient way of clearing the air so that everybody can just get on with things.
1: Yeah. I think apology is is so helpful even when I have a mediation of people in conflict. That helps to settle a case when they say, you know, I never meant to hurt you. I didn't, I didn't mean for this to happen. It it has to be a sincere apology because sometimes I remember when my kids would apologize for something they do. They go, "I'm sorry," you know, and you knew that the apology really wasn't sincere. (laughs) It was like just to get me off their back or something, you know. If I would explain what happened and what how it affected. You know, someone else in the family. If you get one of these apologies that's really disingenuous, then it doesn't really work, wouldn't you say, Sarah?
2: Absolutely, it's got to be a heartfelt apology, um, and yeah, I think there has to be a, a little bit of letting go before the apology can come out as, as heartfelt, heartfelt.
1: Right, right, yeah. But I, I do. Some people, like you said, it's it's letting go of the need to be right. Letting go of the ego wanting to win, right? It's just, it's, uh, for some people being, uh, I'll say to people, would you rather be right or happy? And sometimes they'll say, yeah, sometimes they'll say, I'd rather be right. And then, of course, then you know that there's not going to be a settlement of of, of a dispute if they say I'd rather be right, you know, because yeah. you know, I mean, we only are right from our own perspective, and that uh, it's it's tough.
2: So tell yeah, me, yeah, nobody's really got a monopoly on the truth, do they? <laughs>
1: no, they don't. They don't. So, um, you talk about the path to peace uh, when you've been stuck in conflict or or hostility, it's a matter of changing our perspective. There's a saying, change your thinking, change your life. So can you explain some ways that Buddhism teaches us to work with our perspective of, of our loved one?
2: Yeah, um, two things, I guess. The, the first one is that Buddhism really encourages us to think about the causes and conditions. So you never would see someone as just bad or just greedy or just selfish, you, it's always a much more nuanced form of thinking if you think, well, why am I seeing these behaviours? Um, what are the causes and conditions? Because there's always lots and lots of variables, lots and lots of factors that go into any behaviour we're seeing. And to just say, oh, that person's bad or that person's mean, it's a, it's a gross um, oversimplification. So... Um, you know, so say if if you. I, I talk in my book about my husband. Um, I, I I could easily call him greedy, but then I have to look at the causes and conditions behind behaviours that I see as as greedy, and they are that you know he he was a refugee from a from a poor country. He struggled financially. He did night shift in factories. He was an egg sorter sorting the large eggs from the small eggs. He he was a blood donor. He's really been through some terrible financial insecurity. Um, and so these days he really prioritizes material things, and I could like, get on my high horse and, and um, be all pseudo-Buddhist about it and just say, oh, you're, you're a greedy materialist, or I could have some respect for where he's come from and some understanding from where he's, from where he's come from.
1: And you know, and, um, and I was um, just going to say, um, just when you when you do have that understanding, and um, you being his partner, you're a mirror for him, so that he can look and see, like, okay, you know, I had that as my upbringing, and maybe he can let go of some of that from the past because that's not the present, you know. So that's, a, I mean, that's such a gift for him to have that understanding from you, to understand that past of why he's feeling the way he's feeling.
2: Yes, yes. And, um, and I, yeah, I think the understanding has led to less um, less materialism and less, uh, if you like, greed, greediness. And in Buddhism, we always talk about greed, hatred, and delusion as the sort of three poisons. Oh. And um, every, everyone suffers from one more than another, you know, some people might be more greedy, some people might be more angry, some people might be more deluded, but um, yeah, as I say, always, those reasons for why one person is, is one way more than another.
1: Yeah. So the, the goal of enlightenment really is to let go of that greed and that hatred and all of those uh, negative, you know, anger and all that stuff, because it surely doesn't help us to enlightenment if we grab onto that and we don't let it go. So, (laughs) you know, when you were talking about, you know, if we call our spouse or our loved one a name, like that person is greedy or bitchy or whatever we want to, you know, say, when that's, that name calling and judging is, um, you know, I mean, in all religions, judge not or you're going to be judged, right? So I think it's really one of the key issues for me, and I do divorce mediation for 30 years now, and I see the the, the the real destruction of loving relationships is blame, guilt, um, criticism. Those are like the three top things. Wouldn't you say that as well? Yes, yes. Um, and it, it
2: sounds like they all involve just a lack of compassion, a lack of an understanding of you know, all human beings suffer. It's the first noble truth of Buddhism. There is suffering. There, there is stress. There is unsatisfactoriness. Um, and so you can feel compassion for anyone on that basis. Oh. And um, blaming and criticizing those sorts of behaviors are a lack of compassion.
1: Right. So in, in terms of the role that that our thinking plays in the quality of a relationship, what are some ways that, We can really change our thinking, so it enhances. You know, so it really supports our relationship instead of destroy it.
2: Yes, well, the the Buddha's got so many great quotes about thoughts. Um, You know, with our thoughts, we create the world. And um, I had a psychology lecturer who said, "Relationship happiness is all in our heads," (laughs) Um, and. The Buddha taught most of our suffering is self-inflicted and he taught that there there are two arrows whenever we experience suffering. Um, the first arrow brings pain. The second one brings suffering. So, uh, say so, so my husband forgets my birthday um, and I think, oh, gee, that's not a good feeling. That, that's the first arrow and that's fine. But what most of us do is we add secondary arrows to that. We say, we go on to say something like, he always forgets. He forgot last year. I bet he forgets next year. Gosh, Mm. he's selfish. (laughs) He never thinks about myself. You know, we add all these arrows and um, I think a a Buddhist practice just really encourages us to be aware of when we're proliferating and making all this self-inflicted suffering where we could have just stayed that first initial pain, be with it, tolerate it, provide a little self-compassionate container for it but um, no need to add anything else and if you do just be non-judgmentally aware of what you're doing and um, the awareness will will be very powerful tool to um, convert your thoughts to something more helpful and skillful
1: right and sometimes you know I mean I don't know how what you think about this but when you have that self-compassion and you have that self-awareness if you can stay in that place of self-compassion, awareness of what you're feeling, and then express it to your loved one and saying, you know, when you when you forgot my birthday, I was really feeling, instead of saying you're a jerk and, and you're selfish and you don't think of anybody else, and turn it into a you statement, if you could stay with the I statement and say, you know, when I didn't hear from you on my birthday or I didn't get a card or I didn't get a you know, a loving gesture on my birthday, I felt really kind of abandoned. I felt sad, and I'm not blaming you. I just want you to know how I feel and see where that leads to because your spouse or loved one may just be totally oblivious. What do you think about that? Yeah, well, um, that sounds just
2: like a nonviolent communication, which I talk about Mm. in my book, and and nonviolent communication is about telling people your needs, Mm. And, and your feelings,
1: right. um,
2: rather than saying, rather than making an accusation, because no one can argue with your feelings. Uh, if you say, I, you know, I felt sad um, when that happened, it, he can't say no, you didn't, or she right. can't say no, you didn't. Right. Um, so, and it, it brings the conversation to a place of empathy rather than just everybody defending themselves.
1: Mhm.
2: So, yeah, it, it's an excellent way to deal with issues i think to discuss your feelings and to discuss your needs
1: right so you know are there some pitfalls in attempting to bring the buddhist approach to a couple relationships for example for you with your christian friends or people of other religions Uh, sorry i didn't quite i said yeah yeah so um, what i'm asking you is are there some risks? Like here, you know, this is about Buddhism for couples, and I think it's a beautiful book, and I've been enjoying reading it. I'm just wondering what, you know, what people, what concerns you have about people who are not following the Buddhist uh, faith, if they're Christian or Jewish or Muslim or some other, or Hindu, you know, um, might might there be a concern that they would be afraid to read this book, and why would, they, why would you tell them that it's not trying to convert them or something?
2: Um, well, I th- Buddha himself said, um, I'm not trying to convert you. The, the Buddha was, um, like, like he, he's on the record, is, is saying, I don't particularly want you as my pupil. Just try um, what I'm suggesting, and if it works for you, that's great. If it doesn't, so be it. Yeah, um, so yeah, Buddhism's not a, um, a, a very territorial religion, I guess. And, and strictly speaking, I shouldn't even call it a religion. It's a practice. It's something right. that you do. Right. Um, so it really there shouldn't really be any demarcation disputes. You, you, I think you can be a Catholic or a Muslim or a Hindu and still practice Buddhism because Buddhism is something that you do, not something that you believe.
1: Exactly. It's a way of life, right? It's just Mm. a way of living.
2: Mm.
1: Um, Could you describe one practical strategy that you would recommend for dealing with conflict?
2: Yes, I have a real favorite, actually, and that's um, to write a letter to your partner. Because I think we get so used to arguing or sulking um, or silent treatment. We, We just get so used to dealing verbally with things And when you deal verbally with things, there's interruptions, you can get sidetracked, things can get out of hand. But if you sit down and if if there's an issue that's been troubling you and just write your feelings and then you've got a chance to censor them and tweak them, polish them so that in the end you've got this very thorough and hopefully very sensitive um, piece of writing, and my husband probably gets about one letter a year, um, and I have found them incredibly effective for dealing with issues that can become a bit a bit too hot to handle verbally. Um, yeah, extremely effective and great for avoiding conflict. And um, I, I do some work on telephone helplines, and I, you know, often you speak to people who they reckon they've tried everything, and I say, "Well, have you tried writing a letter?" And they say, "Well." No, actually, I haven't. And then, you know, we, we go about drafting a letter together. And, um, yeah, often it's something that people don't instantly think of, but lots of
1: advantages. Yeah, I think it's beautiful to sit down and really write the letter. I'm, I have to tell you, I get concerned... Um, as a mediator when parties write back and forth to each other in an email because that's very very different writing an email from writing a letter that you go through because people use email and text messages very quickly just kind of um, whatever they're thinking at the moment if they're angry they say it and then it explodes on the other side and so I would suggest that writing a letter that you can put in a Word document that you don't put into an email, um, that you just edit and re-edit and re-edit until it feels like you're just speaking from your heart instead of from your your head when you're angry. There's a saying, speak when you're angry, and you'll say the best speech you ever regret. <laughs> so. <laughs> Right. So it's probably, I just want to clarify for people who are listening, I think Sarah is talking about writing a letter that you are mindful about, that you don't send it without reading it maybe 10 times and editing it um, till it feels good and feels right and feels like it's not accusatory, but just telling what your concerns are. Am am I right? Uh, Am I getting you right, Sarah? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, spot on. And and even
2: putting it down for a day or two and uh, coming back to it the next day, like I do that with with all my writing. Actually, I you can you can always polish it up with a, with a fresh mind the next day. And the other thing to remember is be careful about the time that you slip it to your partner. Um, make sure it's a time when they're feeling relatively relaxed and not walking in from a really stressful day. Um, you know, a, a time at the weekend when things are just a bit settled. And it's probably a good idea to even leave the house and let them digest it for a while, let them sit with it um, just in case they get angry and and their anger can can go down. um, But but also it's it's just good to make a a pause and some space for for them to reflect about the issue.
1: Right. And I think that, that idea of... Finding a quiet time when everybody's relaxed to, to any time you want to talk about conflict. When you're really in the heat of the conflict and real angry, it's important to take a break and, and just take a break from each other. If it's for five minutes or it's for you know a time that you make an appointment to talk later because as i said speak when you're angry you're going to you're going to regret what you're going to be saying so um it's it's getting to that point of mindfulness again right getting to that point of of being in the present being aware of your feelings so that you don't take those feelings out on your loved one right yeah yeah
2: so it's great to like come back to your body in the present moment because your body is always in the present moment and you know check in with your sensation your body sensations you're highly likely to find some tension in your body and it's great to just let go of that tension it doesn't take any time at all um just being aware of where the tension is in your body you're highly likely to be in your jaw across your shoulders and oh, it, it feels great to just release it and and or come back to your breath your breath's always in the present moment as well your, your thoughts are often ricocheting between the future and the past, but the body's very reliable as a place to come back to.
1: Right. You write in the beginning of your book, and I'll just say for anybody who's just passing by right now that she, um, we're talking with Sarah Nap- Napthali, who wrote this beautiful book called Buddhism. For couples, a calm approach to relationships, and you don't have to be Buddhist to enjoy this path of, of calm and and mindfulness. So you write in the beginning of your book that uh, the lack of appreciation is one of the most commonly cited problems for long-term relationships and and it leads to divorce when people don't appreciate I mean I hear that all the time in mediation so why are you getting a divorce well I don't feel loved I don't feel appreciated I don't feel respected those are those are some of the um, things that people tell me so how is it that a lack of appreciation or how can couples actually show their appreciation for each other regularly so that they really um, can enhance their relationship?
2: Well, our uh, study has found that people just aren't noticing um, nice things that their partner's doing for them. So um, the first thing could be to be a little bit more present. And <laughs> and if you're more present rather than off in your head, you might notice that your partner's just done something nice for you. Um. Some other ways to express appreciation. I, I guess develop the habit. You could almost see it like a muscle. I guess. Just. I mean, we're all working so hard to get to keep our households running, and it's it's so easy to say thank you. Um, the dinner was really nice. or oh, look how clean that cupboard is now. Oh, it was really great that you were able to give the kids a lift. You know, uh, I'm not telling anybody anything that <laughs> that isn't absolutely basic. But but often we don't. We just don't do it enough. So, it, yeah, we we might just need to make a conscious effort to do that. And often, it's the missing ingredient in a in a marriage or relationship that's struggling.
1: Yeah, I always talk about having an attitude of gratitude. It's easy to remember that. And what my husband and I try and do, unless we're way too tired, before we go to bed each night, um, we each say three things that we're grateful for that happened to the day. Like, okay, well, I'm, and it doesn't have to be just about each other, but it usually includes each other. Like, I'm so grateful that you made dinner tonight. You know, if I say that to my husband, or I'm so grateful that you took the dog out when I was too tired to do so, you know, <laughs> or I'm grateful that um, the dog was a good dog today. <laughs> so, um, if you can do that before you go to bed, that is a really nice way to go to sleep, too, is just having that attitude of gratitude. So, I think that's beautiful.
2: Yes, I call it WWW, what went well. Yes. Um, and it, it's, it is a great way to finish the day and I think the psychological studies really support that as a practice it's, it's really good for your mental health to to remember gratitude as often as possible
1: yes, well believe it or not we are just out of time so um, I just want you to give the name of your book we've been talking with Sarah Napoli And uh, Sarah is from beautiful Australia. So, Sarah, tell us an email your book and where we can find it, and then it's time to go. It's called Buddhism for
2: Couples. Uh, I think there's plenty of availability online. Um, So, Amazon and, uh, as they say, all good bookstores, I suppose.
1: Yes, well, this is terrific. Thank you for all the work that you're doing for couples, and we'll have you back again. Thanks. Thank you, Mari. It was a great pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org. On the net, I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. for Fighting for Love and visit us at ConflictHealing.com. Thanks.
0: The
2: opinion expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.